How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. It's funny, very few times in life you, you come across authors you read and you get a chance to interview them. Today it was one of them. I was just telling today's guest that I have read his books and I didn't make the connection to his work as an author and his tweets on Twitter. It is my distinct honor to have author, all-around great person, Myron Clifton, join us. Good morning, Myron. How are you? Uh, wow, that's a great introduction. Um, I'm humbled, and thank you so much. Uh, a couple of things, Ed, for being a, uh, a reader, supporter, uh, even when you didn't know it was me. Just You just saw my stuff out there, so I really love hearing that. And then also for having you on your show. I, I'm honored myself, so thank you very much. Myron, let's talk about your path. Now, you grew up in California, right? I'm going to be a little more specific. I grew up in East Oakland, California. There you go. There you go. Raider fan, everything. <laughs> I got it. Right when you're born in Oakland, they stamp you on the head. You're a Raider fan, A's fan, Warriors fan. See. Now, how did your upbringing shape your path as an author? Uh, that's a very good question uh, in that my – my writing is informed by my by my up, upbringing. I grew up in East Oakland. Um, as I just mentioned, our family was like many families in uh, East Oakland in those days. We uh, were poor, proudly poor, and that's not to say we were happy to be poor, but we were proud of um, doing our best. And uh, like many of our um, our uh, friends and relatives, we grew up going to church six or seven days a week, <laughs> days and nights a week. And I also happen to see uh, a lot of violence, and that violence through abuse, violence through um, substance abuse, and then violence um, through uh, law enforcement. So I write, uh, my writing is, is informed by those things, family, church, uh, abuse and um, issues with um, surviving law enforcement and government, and so those they all come together in some way and inform my writing. But then I would also say I grew up in a very uh, woman-centered uh, family and church family, and so I write. Um, I include very. Uh, positive depictions of women in all my in all my um, my books. So now with that, and growing up in such a rough atmosphere, you didn't let the circumstances around you beat you down. Where you seem from interaction just to be a upbeat, clear-headed, level-headed, positive person. How did you let what you saw? overwhelm you to the fact that it would turn you 
jaded, cynical, or uh, negative? You know, um, that's a great question. I think that's something that a bit many, many of us, when I say us, uh, black men and women, um, who uh, in, in many ways are quite, um, I can use the word normal, and I don't mean that in a, in a, um, in a way that could offend people, but that we, we work, we have families, we have goals and dreams, we, you know, we have a car and bills, and we participate in society, and we vote, and we do things that are very standard, and oftentimes that is um, depicted as something special, and I don't necessarily ascribe to that. Uh, I think that uh, the vast majority of us do not commit crimes and do not engage in law enforcement in any way, and we work and we pay bills and we take care of our families. And the outliers of us um, um, receive a lot of attention. Not that it's not warranted, but probably an outsized amount of attention because the media is not controlled by us and the narratives often are made by us. Um, but then more specifically to your question, you know, um, I don't know that that unique or special, but I would say that one thing that uh, that helped me was and still does is um, I, I've always wanted to make my mother proud. So um, my mother passed away. She was very young. She was 39, passed away of colon cancer. So those uh, listening, get your colonoscopy, get your cancer screenings. It's very important, particularly to black people. Um, but I've always, I'm the third of three boys and, you know, trying to get attention and get my time uh, with my mother. Um, made me want to <clears throat> me, do things that made her proud. And so um, the opposite of that was true as, us, as well. I didn't want to disappoint her. So when my friends and, honestly, my brothers and siblings uh, were doing things uh, that were not um, positive and that um, delved into illegal activities, and most of it, and I shouldn't say that like that, just minor things that kids do, you know, drinking and smoking kind of things. Um, I didn't do those things because I didn't want to disappoint my mother. And so that informed my life then and informs now. Um, and I wanted to be better than uh, my father, quite honestly. He was a, an abusive man and a drug, heavy drug user for all of our childhood, and I didn't, didn't want to be him. And so those two forces, trying to please and, and, and satisfy and impress her and then try not to be like him, uh, kept me on a straight and narrow. Um, but I would, also, I would also say, Mr. Beggs, that I have a healthy fear <laughs> of getting in trouble and going to jail and interacting with law enforcement. So that also kept me on the straight and narrow. Um, and then I would say the final thing was, you know, growing up poor, I didn't want to be poor. And I knew the only way to not be poor was, or one way not to be poor, was to try to accomplish things in life. And in America, that means, generally means working, making money, and trying to figure out how to make that money work for you. So um, I think that I have been uh, blessed to have those forces come together to help propel and motivate me to where I am in life today. Now, you mentioned your adoration and your love for mom, and on your website it says you love telling your daughter's stories about your mom. What is the one story you can tell to a total stranger that who may not have met your mom but will draw the clearest picture of who she was. Um, my mom, um, black woman, right? Let, let's start there. That if there's any backbone to this country, to this nation, and not just this, not just this nation, but our homeland, the motherland, um, and the old diaspora through South America and the islands and so forth, and these black women. And so my mom follows in that tradition. So born um, in Louisiana, and I like to say that, and I think this will answer your question. My mother was born in a in a in a shack in Louisiana, not uh, in a hospital. Um, she was attended to. She was brought into this world by midwives. So just the women in the neighborhood who brought babies in those days, so there were, there were no doctors. And my mother lived a 
uh, a beautiful life, the second oldest of five children. And she, um, I think her best story about her is that she dropped out of high school pregnant with my oldest brother. And by the time she was 19, she had three kids and was told that she would never amount to anything, that she would just be um, a high school dropout with kids and stay poor. And by the time I was seven, my mother started um, uh, teaching herself so she could go back to high school, get her diploma, and then enter the job market. And she did. And my mother eventually worked for the post office. What was in those days called an LSM operator, um, letter sorting machine. It wasn't automated. It was just women, mostly women, sitting at a computer trying to determine where mail would go based on the zip code. <clears throat> so she had to learn every zip code in America. <clears throat> Excuse me. And how she learned that was she wrote little cue cards, and I helped her study. And so I would just call out a zip code, and she had to uh, correctly stay where it was. I had the key. And so we did that one whole summer every day, just calling out zip codes, and she had to pass the test. And eventually my mom was recognized for having 99.9% accuracy every year uh, for her career at uh, the post office where she passed away. So I would say that her, her diligence, um, her desire to improve her life's station and the work that she put in is emblematic of um, what I see in black women, uh, period. And then the final bookend, and I can tell stories about her all day, but I'm going to show the final bookend is she was brought into this world by women, and when she was in hospice, she was attended to all women as well. So she was brought into the world by women, and she was escorted out of this world by women. And I, I love the symmetry uh, of that and um, her journey in between. You know, can fill novels, but I'll just leave it at that. She was brought in by women. She lived a powerful life, um, and she was escorted out by women. To this day, is there a random zip code that you can think in your head? You know, if you see it on a letter or somewhere out there that you automatically know what it is? <laughs> you know, that's a funny question. You know what's funny about that, that? In my early career, I worked in telecommunications, and one thing that I had to learn in those old days, I was working for uh, Sprint back in the 80s, was that I had to learn um, area codes. <laughs> and so the symmetry of that was I, my mother was helping me learn area codes, and you know, many years after I, I helped her learn um, zip codes. So there was one time in my life where I knew every zip code in America, and that was probably before, a little bit before and a little bit after um, – uh, diversification when they broke up all the phone companies and now there's like way more air codes than I can remember. But from a, from a, um, a zip code step, or it probably just be my zip code back in, back in Oakland 94605, you know, just, just that as my old, my old air code, uh, 510 and, you know, so yeah, just, just home. What I call, even though I don't live there now, that's still my home. No. Well, one of the things that, you know, when I see a prolific and just skilled author, especially a black author, that you have made your own path without compromising morals, ethics, or anything. You have stayed the, the course that is true to yourself and true to your surroundings. When you see others that have veered off that path and decided to take the road more taken and taking shortcuts, how does that grade on you as someone who is an artisan with words? Oh man, let me tell you. Sometimes I think you you're I think you're recognized as you're you have a you have careers. Um, it is so uh, both disappointing. Sometimes it's heartbreaking, and sometimes quite frankly, it's infuriating. That uh, you know um, um, you'll know this from 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 following sports. You know your coaches will tell you. Trust the process, right? You can't cheat the process. You can't take shortcuts. Um, and so when I see particularly, um, you know, my lane is, you know, black men, and particularly that I, I just, it's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking to see people think they're um, shortcuts or they, um, they uh, flitter between different opinions. And we see this on 
if I just narrow this down to what we see on Twitter, people who, you know, they have one opinion for uh, a time and then that opinion flip-flops to something else that's very counter to what they were stating. And, you know, if you dig into it, you'll see it's sort of just people going after clicks and likes and um, uh, a display of not having true values but, but being um, – uh, flight, just going wherever the wind blows, and that is disappointing because you know in, in my in my past career as a uh, I've been in management for a long time, and I've managed and mentored and helped employees. You know, one of the things you try to to work uh, impart employees is that you know you do these steps, and you don't have to do these steps like I did them, but the steps can be done uh, and should be done, and with those steps, generally can come advancement, and that doesn't always mean monetary or levels or things like that, but it could, it could, but it could also mean one just improves as an individual and you learn some different skills and things like that. And so when I see people and I, I witness, and it can be family and friends as well, try to cheat that system and cheat the understanding of that system. Um, it's disappointing. And where I can, if I'm allowed, I don't mind sharing uh, with that individual individuals, you know, why, um, that may not be the best course, and if they allow me, I'm very open to uh, providing, uh, whether it's assistance or guidance or feedback or uh, uh, information about a different way. I'd be happy to do that. But, you know, that's a delicate balance because people don't always want help, and that's fine. Uh, but if, if the opportunity presents itself, I like to do that because I do not like to see us fail in that kind of way, if it is a failure, but also it could just be a a, not a failure, but um, a, an, internal, an internal disagreement that's being played out publicly, and it's quite obvious, but maybe it's not obvious to that individual, and that could just be because of their age, their professional maturity, their maturity, or what, what have you. I don't mind sharing a little some of my journey if the opportunity presents itself. For me, one of the things that I need to work on is I take when I see folks who take shortcuts, especially one of us, I think that personally, it's, I feel embarrassed, like, oh, Lord, it is, and it's just, it's, I, I personally, because I know that a lot of us have had that rough path to get where we have to get, and for to see somebody taking the sideways route, it kind of serves yeah. as a slap in the face to those before us, those who stand as, those who shoulders that we stand upon. You know what, that's, I, I, that's a great way of putting that, that, you know, those, whose shoulders we stand upon, because we know they put in the work, right, that there are very few lottery winners, right? There are very few lottery winners, and lottery is not always, you know, the big, the big monetary payout, but, you know, maybe you walk into a job one day and they give you this great job with this high-paying salary and all this kind of stuff. That's a lottery, too. You know, these things are very rare. You know, a, a professional athlete, very rare. A professional musician, very rare. All those things are very rare. Those are the, those are the lottery things. For the other 99.9% of us, we've got to put in the work, wherever that work may be. And that doesn't mean that one should aspire to be wealthy, because that's not, that's not it. But one should aspire to be actualized in whatever that way that they want to be. And in order to do that, you've got to put in the work, whatever, whatever that um, work may be that, that is commiserate with whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Now, when you look at not just the authoring profession, literary work, but media in general, when you look at folks that have started as a writer, as a journalist, who have gone on to become a media personality, and you see that they have flushed their credibility, what type of moral gymnastics do you think it takes those people to undergo to to get where they came from in order to cash in. Man, let me tell you, that's, you know, we, you know, we see that all the time. Like we see that all the time. I mean, we, we, we see it and we particularly see it and notice it with, with our own, right? And we have these online and offline conversations of what that person has, has done. And, you know, we have the, the titles for them, you know, for sellout and all these other titles we have for them. And it is, um, it's heartbreaking. It, it is, in a way, it is heartbreaking. You don't like to see that. But, you know, I, I wrote recently that um, there is always a, an, 
there's always a market and there's always money to be made um, for any black person and really any person of color, but let's, let's, let's keep it to our people, any black person who is willing to go to the major media, and that media could be news or publishers or so, podcasters or so forth, for them to go to those avenues and disparage us. There's always money in that. And uh, there's always a market for that. And that market is always looking for us, looking for one of us to do that. And unfortunately, there's always a few of us willing to turn, you know, their backs on the rest of us and give um, that type of media, those media people, um, the dirt that they that they look that they look for and that they reward. And I want to be very clear: that's not just Republican media. That's uh, what is commonly called liberal media. But you know, I don't even know if that exists. But it's it's that as well. So it's, the, it's people's phase on MSNBC, NBC, you know, CNN, all these outlets, LA Times, and so forth. They love to find us. They pluck us and find that one person, those one or two people who are willing to just go to bat for white supremacy. And it's not always obvious to, um, I shouldn't say it's obvious, it is obvious to, to grown-ups, but there's always a market for that, and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, you don't have to do that. You can stay true to yourself. Um, you can stay true to um, the truth, because the truth of the matter is um, we are not reverse racist and we are not um, lazy and we're not all criminals or drug users or abusers and, um, our, um, our black women are not lazy or loud or angry. Um, they, all those tropes and stereotypes, those things are not true. However, I will say this. Um, if, they, if that's what they want to take, then you be prepared for the rest of us to come to, come, come, come to you. Like we're going we're gonna to dispute that and we're going to come straight at you because that's what you've asked for. Right, you've asked, you've asked you you're playing for that that racist white audience. Not all, not all just you know hood wearing racist, but the soft racist. You're playing for that audience uh, against us, and that's where you want to make your money, your name, or whatever it is you're doing. We're going to come at you then, and and on that part, you know, while it's heartbreaking, then that gives me and I know it gives others energy um, to try to course correct that, and we're going to course correct that by calling out the lies and uh, disinformation that that person, those individuals, are putting out there. Now, when we come back from break, I want to discuss the articulation and general get your thoughts on various political topics. But that's after break. You're listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the Full Press Radio Coverage Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with the Full Press Raiders podcast of the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, our guest, Myron Clinton. Myron, when was the first time you got hit with the, when you met somebody who you possibly spoke on the phone to first that, oh, you're so articulate. When did you get hurt, hit first by that? And do you, did that still happen? <laughs> hey, you know what? Haven't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if we're not talking, um, Articulating like a character from uh, the, the the color purple book, you know the book, not the, not the movie, but the book. If we're not talking like that, somehow we're we're articulate. And boy, that is offensive. I think um, the first time I heard that was in grade school. Uh, I want I want to say uh, six, my sixth grade teacher um, said that aloud to to the classroom, and and you know to to you to yourself. Or to myself, I just talk like I talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, and my my grandparents are from the south. And they, you know, they talked in uh, like the African African American accent. And my mother and father, born in Louisiana, Texas, respectively, and they spoke like they spoke. And we grew up in East Oakland, and we speak like we speak. And um, the the insult that 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 is the weight of that insult. Um, yeah, that probably started in sixth grade, and uh, my early jobs, um, I worked in call centers and over the phone, and I heard it. Man, I probably heard that. I probably heard that every week. I, I hear two things: you have a voice, you, you have a deep voice, you should be on radio, and you don't sound black. <laughs> you sound black, right? Because obviously, you can hear my, my voice. I sound like a black man. But the other part, oh, you, but you talk, you speak so well. <laughs> oh my God! That's, yeah, that's so offensive. Yeah, I hate it. It is. It has happened to me when I was like, I had somebody walk by me after I gave a phone interview. Like, oh, I didn't know you. You're you, you seem so much taller on the fo- taller on the phone. So you can tell height by the sound of somebody's voice. Get out of here. You know. You know the the um the the the, the other book into that is uh, you sound white. You talk white. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. You sound like a white person or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, because, because you happen to, you know, um, denunciate or, 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 you know, some sense nonsense like that. But yeah, it's offensive and, it, and it's really quite shameful that in 2021, you know, we, we still hear that. And it's not, it's not, um, that is not due to us. That is due to, uh, white people not being exposed uh, to black people, right? There's, there's, there's only 40 million of us or so in this country, and I don't know, 200 million white people. And once you get out of the cities, you know, there's not a lot of us, and they see us on TV, and, you know, we know how TVs and movies depict us, and if one doesn't actually look for intelligent programming that depict all the all the flavors of our lives, right, Um but just choose to see us as the, sometimes the worst of us are presented, they're the acting, then they meet one of us in real life, and all of a sudden we see like an anomaly when really we're, we are actually the norm. But America is so flipped upside down, you know, we think the norm is the anom- anom- anomaly, and the anomaly is the norm. Now, growing up in East Oakland and being uh, a California native, you have a lot of people who like to offer up their opinions on California politics. Two, two part question. What do people get wrong? And what do people miss about the political landscape in the state of California? Oh, those are, those are great questions. So I, so I would answer the first one. What do people get wrong about California politics? Um, I would say people get wrong about California politics is, Missing the um, awareness that 
though California is blue, right? We have blue. Our legislature is dominated by Democrats, our governor. We have Republican governors, obviously, Schwarzenegger, Reagan, so forth and so on. Um, but we are blue. However, we have a lot of gradients of blue in this, in this, in this state, right? It's not all, you know, rah-rah, you know, resistor, blue wave, you know, all that, you know, performative nonsense. Um, our blue in California is very nuanced. So we can't, Democrats can't just do and get um, everything they want. Now, to Republicans, it seems like Democrats do, but actually we do not. Our, our, the blue in California is um, methodical. It is, it is very sometimes intransient and, it um, it is not always the blue that puts the needs of black uh, Mexican. I say Mexican because California is heavily Mexican. Uh, actually, California was Mexico. Let's make that clear. Um, a need to interest above blue Democrats, blue white Democrats, and um, and I think it's often missed that California white. Blue Democrats are not always uh, on the side of California's black, Mexican, person of color um, Democrats. So that, that piece is always uh, often missed. And then what was part two of your question? I mean, what do people miss? Like, what is the one obvious thing as a Californian you think the average American is like, oh, like it's right in front of them, but they don't see it? Okay, the, the other part to that, I would say, there are not that many black people in California. <laughs> That's it right there. California is only about um, 5% black, um, and, that's, and that's mostly Oakland, if I think northern Oakland, Richmond, and a few little sub uh, bedroom communities, uh, Pittsburgh, Antioch, Vallejo, little tiny places, but predominantly that. And then Los Angeles, right, massive, Los Angeles, Long Beach, so forth. And then really, that's it. There's a few of us scattered in a few other places. But California, with 40 million people, you're only looking at 5% of that being black people. And so uh, California's minority, as we call it, we still use the antiquated term, call it, is, is more heavily dominated by um, Latino and, and most of Latinos in California obviously are Mexican. And so I think the opportunity, if I just slide into the opportunity, and sometimes the misses from the national party is that there's, there's very heavy emphasis on the black issues, which I always love to see because obviously they're real and important to me. But I think that more emphasis and more uh, work on the ground um, should be put <clears throat> into uh, getting out everything we do for black people. We've done, you know, for decades and centuries, really. Um, that same infrastructure should be as strong, if not stronger, in California for our Latino um, Democrats, because we know that the diversity within Hispanic Latino is is great, um, and though. Uh, most vote Democratic, it's not high enough. We want that to be higher. Now, there's a, uh, it's, it's not as awful as it is in Florida with the Cubans and so forth, um, but it's not high enough. We want that to be in the 80s. We, we want it to be like black women, right? We want it to be up there, 90s, and it's not there. And I think that that is something that the National Party, I know they're aware um, but I don't know. I, I would like to see more emphasis there. So I think that's a piece, a critical piece that's um, typically missed um, from out people, out, Democrats and non-Democrats who live outside of California. Now, as a fellow parent, I mean, you have, as always, we have challenges. What has been the greatest challenge as a parent and what has been the greatest success? Um, so uh, for your audience, you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter. Um, she's a junior in high school, and um, I write about her often. Actually, if I go back to, you know, I'm Dear Dean online, and Dean, 
I'm Dear Dean 22 online, I should say. And the Deans are my mother's middle name was Dean, and my daughter's middle name, named after her grandmother, is Dean. So those, that's the Dear Dean 22. We're both born in the 22nd. So that's the meaning behind Dear Dean 22. It's, it's an it's a homage to my mother. And it's a, um, I love you to my daughter. So, dear Dean 22. So, my daughter, um, 16 uh, and three quarters, as she likes to say. And, um, Junior, my greatest, I think my greatest, um, reward is, um, uh, just, uh, not just, but I don't want to, um, that I get to be a father, you know, and I get to uh, be present and available as my daughter grows up and that I can be, um, uh, a role model, an ear to listen uh, to her needs and provide her uh, a safe space at home. Her parents are divorced, so she has two homes. And um, one thing I learned in mediation as my ex-wife and I were going through divorce was that it's not the child's fault and that our egos have to be put aside and you have to create a great space for her. And I think I've, I've done that um, in these seven years post-divorce that she is uh, she's a lovely, um, lovely young woman, teenager, you know, with all the fire energy that that comes with that. And um, so I'm very, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of her because she's she's really kind, really conscious. She um, she cares about people and and, and people. I'm gonna put that in the right order for her <laughs> and. Um, She's smart and she has good friends and uh, she's very strong in her opinions and, and I love that. Um, and I would say that the greatest challenge is, you know, I think it's just a day-to-day parenting that every day is is new and to be uh, present and available um, when and how and where you're, uh, where uh, my daughter needs me. So I work full time. I write a weekly blog, um, and then I author books. I always have. Like, I have two books in the works right now. And I work with seniors. So my job is pretty consuming. Um, but there are times when my daughter only wants my attention um, focused on her, which, you know, I, I get she doesn't want um, to hear about my job. She doesn't want to hear about the Raiders. Um, that that might be one of my great failures, that my daughter's not really a big Raider fan. <laughs> um, and she just wants my attention uh, on her. And so um, I have to govern myself and make sure that she gets that quality time that she needs. And sometimes it's not even quality. It's just she wants to bother and annoy me, but that's what she wants to do. So um, that's probably my greatest challenge. And it's one that I embrace because it's what I ask for to be a parent, and I, 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 I love every minute of it. Now, you mentioned our Raiders, and we have to talk about them. Did you think that they would be 3-0 and after three really close, really heart-wrenching games? I had them at 0-3. <laughs> I'm Me not going to lie. I had, because, A, we weren't going to beat Lamar Jackson opening on Monday night, right? We were not going to go into, into um, Three Rivers Stadium, Uh and win that. And then Miami always has the Raiders number for some reason, particularly in Oakland. So I had that 0-3. So I'm sitting there, you know, uh, after three weeks, like a lot of the Raider fans, you know, I, I, I'm bragging, but I'm still a little bit nervous that the, the rug's going to be pulled out at, at, at some point, right? Something's going to go wrong because, because um, what? Because you know what? Even though they, they want like two overtime games and, a pretty dominant game against Pittsburgh, you know, let's, let's be really honest. But as, as fans, you know, it's, we see all the mistakes, right? We see, you know, a couple of bad penalties here, some questionable play calling here, um, and just some, some really bad drives that just ended nothing. But at the same time, you look at the stats, Derek Carr is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league. You know, the Raiders are scoring at a pretty nice clip. The defense is finally getting turnovers and, you know, real stops and the, the kicking game, the special teams are doing their job. You know, it, it, it's hard to be a Raider fan because you don't want to feel too good, but, man, this 3-0 and is feeling real good. 
I am stunned with Derek Carr because I'm not a big Carr fan. I think that he's had too long of a, a run in a run with the Raiders, but he's playing a little more aggressive this year, like throwing the ball deeper and playing a little more aggressive. Do you think that even though he claims he doesn't really pay attention, do you think on that subconscious level that Carr listens to the whispers and hears people? Yeah, it does. So, look, look, I, I liked Derek Carr when he was in college, but I didn't want to draft him. I thought this guy, you know, he was a good quarterback. And he got to the Raiders, and he has that soft ball, like, like sort of like Kenny State, like a very soft ball. He could throw a strong arm, but a very soft ball. But he seemed to just not have – that it factor, right? He wasn't going to win, you know, when it counted or he was going to throw a dumb pick or a dumb fumble, you know, just really questionable stuff. So um, I I wasn't sold on him. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm like 50-50 with him right now, but I want to give him his props that he is, he is getting it done right now. But I think he listens to the whispers. I think he is aware that I don't think Gruden really want, wanted him as his quarterback. Um, and I agree with you. He is playing more aggressively, and I do think, though, that he has that offense. Like they, I think those guys, I think his teammates like him, right, the offensive guys, I think they do like him. So uh, they're, playing, they're playing hard for him. Um, but you know what, man? Listen, what is this, year seven, year eight? Uh, show me a playoff win. Because as far as I know, he's still he's still got goose eggs in that in that category. So until you get a playoff win, you don't have to win the Super Bowl. You need to win a playoff game. You know, it doesn't matter if it's at home on the road. Doesn't matter if it's a last second kick. It doesn't matter. Get a playoff win on on your on your belt because until you do, you know, you're just that guy putting up numbers and you got nothing to show for it. So he he has had and Gruden has had since he's come back to Raiders good second or first halves of the season. You know, they've been, I think they've been 6-2 a couple of times on the green or something close to that uh, since he's come back. But you know what? They've had collapses at the end of the year. And um, now I would probably put more of that on the coaching staff, not knowing how to coach down the stretch and make the adjustments that all the other teams are making to stop you. But you know what? The quarterback gets all the blame. You get all the money, you get all the blame. So, Carr, until you get that playoff win under your belt, I'm going still, to still look at him a little side-eye. Now, one of the things that Oakland is known for is tremendous music. And what do you think is the preeminent Oakland sound when someone from out of state, out of the country, whatever, flies into Oakland and you are their tour guide? What is the Oakland sound to you? Oh, my God. Man. So you can go back in the day, right? Power, power, Pointer Sisters, you know Larry Graham. See, see, I, I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say like the elders say, say used to say that as kids. You don't know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you can come forward to In uh, 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 Vogue, you know Tony, 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 you know all the Too Short, uh, Hammer, right? I mean. Uh, uh, I, you know what, I, um, man, that's that's tough. You know what, I, I think I think I'm gonna, I, I think I'm a book in it. I'm gonna go, I have to go old school, like two. One, the Pointer Sisters. Because let's be honest, my mother loved them, right? Because they all lived in the neighborhood. Um, and then and then I'm gonna go. I gotta go Hammer because look, we're about the same age. So my peer growing up, a couple years older than me. But he has a connection to the Oakland A's and Charlie Finley. Like back in the day, he was Charlie Finley. He worked for Charlie Finley as a teenager uh, with the A's. Um, and then, you know, he became Hammer, who, you know, though he got criticized in his career for being uh, basically a capitalist. I didn't, that wasn't the words that were, that were used, but that's what it was. He was criticized for being a capitalist. But now look at all these guys, right? You got all these guys on, you know, TV. They doing little hosting gigs on the Olympics, and you know they cooking with Martha Stewart. And <laughs> they doing all this wild stuff that Hammer was doing back in the what the late eighties and nineties. And so, um, I don't want to discount all the current music and musicians, particularly smaller, who are just in the clubs in and around Oakland, Berkeley, Richmond, on uh, the East Bay, that East Bay sound. Um, but 
I, you know, I'm going to go point and sisters and hammer. I go, you know what? Wait a minute. Uh, I like a culture club. Uh, my Tony, 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 man, that's Tony, Tony, Tony music. Whew. Uh, Raphael Sadiq just by himself. But, look, you put on some Larry Graham. Um, you put on some Larry Graham. Ooh, my God. Um, um, I think of, what, Confunction, Bay Area? And I, I like to play in Frankie Beverly and Maze, but I don't know if in front of Bay Area, but you know what? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I could pinpoint it, but but the sound of Oakland is very strong. Is very strong. Let's, let's, let's leave it there. When you go back to eat in Oakland, what's the one place you need to go get a plate from? Uh, Evan Jones Barbecue. What makes um, it so good? So Evan Jones um been around for a long time uh, out in East Oakland, and now they got beautiful restaurants down at Jack London Square. You can get their food at um, all the Oakland uh, sports venues. Whatever in Jones is, and what's good about their barbecue is they're consistent. It's always good. Um, the servers, the, the staff are always nice. But but I want to be clear, they'll put you in your place if you if if you don't know what you're ordering, you act you act a fool. Like they'll put you in your place. However, there were lovely, wonderful people, and um, the ribs, a the ribs, just always get the ribs, and then um, next you know, get the tri tip. Um, don't walk away without any um, uh, <clears throat> any um, pie or cake, um, but they're always good. And whether you hit them at one of their spots out in East Oakland or Berkeley, um, it doesn't matter. Um, but the the very cool restaurant experience on Jack London Square, if you just want to walk around Jack London Square, enjoy the water, the sights, um, and then just sit down at Everett Jones. And it's one of those gathering places where um, all walks of life are there, right? Because it's 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 off down it's off downtown Oakland. So you get all the the the, the workers, state and federal workers. You get all the um, you get athletes and politicians, and you'll get people from uh, just all of us all of us regular people, right? Just out from the neighborhoods, um, and you get all the races. Because you know, Oakland's very diverse. Oakland is like always one of the most diverse places. In the country, though, the media will tell you it's just all black people. It's not. It's very diverse, very strong, loving, diverse community. And you go into Evan Jones, and it's just a, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's the stereotype, right? It's a United Nations melting pot in there. And folk just uh, come together to enjoy some barbecue like only we can make it. <laughs> What's the best dessert spot? Yeah, yeah, I would like it there. What's the best, what is the best dessert spot in Oakland? What place you what? Not even Oakland. The best of, Dessert spot wherever you live right now. What's the, what's the one place you got to go? You're like, you know what? I, I need a slice of this pie, a slice of this cake, some of this cobbler. You know what? So so uh, I, I'm an ice cream guy. So there's a lot of great ice cream in and around Oakland Bay Area. Um, Vinton's, the ice creamery, and so, play, so forth like that. But I live in Sacramento now. So two places. Uh, if you're in Sacramento, you want to get dessert. Ice cream. <clears throat> the three great local franchises in Sacramento, but the one that's nearest and dearest to me, actually literally near to me, I can walk there, it's probably uh, less than a mile, um, it's called Gunther's. And Gunther's has been there since, uh, Gunther's Ice Cream, been there since I think the 40s, and it is just delicious ice cream. It is delicious. You can go there any day of the year, um, and just wonderful, loving people that work there. It's a little neighborhood, and uh, no matter how cold it is, um, it doesn't matter. There's always a line, but it's a fast line. But it, it's a really nice gathering spot. See your neighbors and uh, everybody that comes in. So that's for ice cream. And then for other desserts such as um, pies, cookies, uh, baked goods, it's, there's a little shop on um, – uh, uh, well, Gunther's is on Franklin. Let me say Franklin Boulevard. And then my pie and baked goods um, spot is on – Sutterville, I think it is. Uh, is that Sutterville? No, Freeport. It's on Freeport. Uh, Freeport Bakery is what it's called. It's locally owned. A loving uh, uh, wife and husband own it, and they're often there. And we see you see a lot of the neighborhood teenagers work there coming up um, in high school, and they just make the best everything. So uh, cookies, um, biscotti, uh, apple pie. Apple pie is to die for, and they make special. Um, uh, desserts for all the 
um, Jewish and Christian holidays as well. And it's just, it's wonderful. And I'll just give a little side note to two other little places, one for chocolate, Ginger Elizabeth's on L Street in downtown, and then for cupcakes, icing on the cupcake on J Street. So you might you might get from this live a sweet tooth because <laughs> uh, I, got, I got four favorite dessert places, but, you know, I keep them all in the rotation. So if you're in Sacramento, uh, Freeport Bakery, Icing on the Cupcake, Ginger Elizabeth Chocolate, and the best uh, out of everything is um, ice cream um, uh, at my favorite spot. So there you go. I have a couple more questions. They're kind of different. Now, normally I'll ask somebody – where what advice would you give to the eighteen year old self, which is a kind of a trite question? I'm gonna ask you something different. What advice would you give to your twenty seven year old self? Ooh, twenty seven. Um, I would give my twenty seven year old self the advice of um I'll tell you where I was when I was twenty seven. I was I I I just moved from Oakland for the first time to Sacramento. And um, uh, I was renting an apartment with a roommate, a good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine, by the name Michael. Um, and I, my advice at that time was be a little more um, focused on following the rules at work. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was I was a I was a customer service manager I think like I had moved up the ranks but I didn't like to follow all the rules um um because I thought that some of the, some of the rules I thought were too restrictive and not well written or they were too vague and so I would make my own all in the customer's interest but there was a better way to handle that and I should have worked with the people who were making those rules to strengthen them and to better understand them and so forth because in my uh, contrary and rebellious ways of thinking I was more right than the company was, I was creating back-end work for other coworkers, and I should have been a little more aware of how I was going about doing that. So that's what I would say. Be more aware of other people who have other jobs and duties who are creating rules and processes and regulations, and they're doing it for a reason and should try to get a better understanding of what, the why behind those things instead of just shutting the door and reading and saying, this is a dumb rule, I'm not going to follow it. There's more behind it than that. And I wasn't professionally mature enough um, to take that route. I, that's the advice I would give myself. Now, last question. If you could change one event, not just, you know, one event in the course of your life, not saying make it better or worse, just change a minute detail, like a little wrinkle that happened in a particular event. What would it be and why? Oh, that's um, um, so I, I want to step away from the big stuff, like um, you know, working with my mother through her cancer and things like that. Um, you know, I would say I, I have a younger sister, so it was three boys were born one year after the other, and then seven years later, my bratty little sister was born. And um, um, our, our mother's passing hit her. She was the only girl. She was only 12. And that hit her differently than it hit my brothers and I, who were 19, 20, 21. They were away at college, and I was at home. And so I would say that um, though I wasn't equipped, I wasn't mentally equipped to uh, nurture and care for her um, as a parent would, that I would like to tweak what I knew and what I tried to understand. And though I was trying to fix myself, I would like to have shaved off some of that and given her more uh, time and attention because um, what she was going through was very unique as a daughter being so young, losing her mother at such a young age. So I, I, I would change that. So that goes back to uh, the um, 84 to, you know, the 90s. Uh, and, and so that's what I would do. That, that window where um, I was so um, understandably focused on trying to make myself better um, after I'm on the path. But I, I wish I'd given my sister a little more attention then. Tell the people about your books, your website, where can people interact with you. Just the, the whole bio. Okay, so, so, um, 
Thank you for that. I, I appreciate this time, and I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to plug those. So I have three uh, current books. My books can be found at Dear Dean Publishing, where it's a it's, – it's all put there with little um, my bio and the books and the covers and what they're about and everything. I have published uh, four books, three that are uh, pretty good sellers. My first official is um, Her Legend Lives in You. It's what I um, – called The Goddess Book. It's a, it's a little fantasy, whimsical story about uh, the goddess and her daughter, and it's a very short book. It's also available on Kindle um, and, as a, an, and an audio book, and it's a unique um, view of creation as through the, seen through the eyes of a goddess, and then uh, uh, human life as seen through the eyes of the goddess's daughter. It's just the goddess and the daughter. It's probably about a two-hour read, and I guarantee you, and your audience is unlike anything you've ever read before. So that's one. And then, so that's a very fantasy-oriented book. And then uh, my other two books, one is BLMPD, um, and these are partner books and monuments. A Deadly Day at Jefferson Park, BLMPD, is a uh, political thriller, and it's very shortly about a group of women who decide to take revenge um, on the police officer who killed one of their best friends. And that what they decide to do is, um, is interesting, it is violent, and as they do it, we learn through their travels about um, police violence against black people. So it, is, it, is, it has historical facts in, um, mixed in with it. Um, his, what we like to call historical fiction, and uh, it's not for kids, but it is a, it is a what if, and it, it is a direct, direct response, if I may, to popular movies. And the question in movies, who gets to get revenge and take that revenge out on law enforcement? So we know Tom Cruise and Jason Bourne and uh, um, James Bond, they can, you know, Bruce Willis, they can... They can kill military, CIA, FBI, police. They can kill all these people as they're trying to get to the truth of something. And it's, and it's okay we cheer them, and there are national action stars. What if we put that around? What if it was women, right, and, and, and women of color who were doing the righteous killing to avenge um, the murder of their friend and their um, – what if it was them? Do we still see them as heroes? Like who, who are, what, what, what is our opinion? And let me tell you, that book is explosive. And then the prequel to that book is Monuments, A Daily Day at Jeff, Jefferson Park. And it tackles the question, why do we have all these white supremacist monuments all through the country? And why did that extend to schools, buildings, streets, um, and all the rest, all celebrating white supremacy, and I boil it down to the, 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 Ameri- the unique American thing of, of the uh, Civil War reenactments, right? That whole genre of people that conduct these reenactments every month of the year, and all 50 states have these reenactments, all celebrating the Civil War. And so they're not celebrating the end of slavery, let me tell you that. That's not what they're celebrating. So the book, Monuments, A Deadly Day at Jefferson Park, which is a prequel to BLMPD, tackles the question of monuments, and it tackles it in a way, just like its, it's um, predecessor, BLMPD, violently. And we look at who gets to do the violence. It's, I'm, I'm really excited about the book because it, it has uh, sex workers as heroes, trans women that, as heroes, and then a couple of favorites that were in uh, Beyond, Beyond PDS Heroes. And then if I, if I must have two books in the works. I have a short story collection, all science fiction, fantasy, that will come out later this year. And then my next novel is coming out, and it is called, I, my working ter- uh, title is Church Stories, and it's all about a, uh, a teenage boy growing up in the black church and everything that he sees and uh, witnesses there. One of... The best authors out there and phenomenal body of work. Myron Clifton, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. 
I appreciate you having me, and uh, good luck with um, this podcast and in, in, in your future endeavors. I know there's some, some personal things I want to congratulate you about. You too. <laughs> yep. So um, um, I'm very happy for 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 the puppies. So um, I'll, I'll be happy to follow um, all the the beautiful things that the shenanigans online. Sorry. <laughs> I I am extremely thrilled and happy, and I'm happy for you and. New York's favorite teacher. This has been another episode of the Black Today Podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Read, buy all of Myron's stuff. Wait for him to write some more. Buy that too.